I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Demore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 83, how do I get my teen to take school seriously? Oh, it feels so good to be back season three. I know, Rena. We've talked a bit over the summer, but I've missed being in touch like we are when we're in full season. I am thrilled to be back with you. I know, and I need your help. And based on our inbox of emails we've gotten from around the world, lots of people need your help. <laughs> well, here we go. Here Let's we just go. Get down to it. Get down to it. Back to school. You know this uh, this new report um, we noticed kind of caught our attention, and it's by this nonprofit, NWEA. And they're saying that the amount of learning loss during the pandemic will take three to five years for students in elementary and middle school to actually recover from all of that loss. Oof. And I know they didn't look at high school students, but I can tell you there was a lot of learning loss in high school, too. And, you know, it's not good. And, of course, and awfully, um, it hit the kids who are already behind mm-hmm. even more. Kids in tough situations, stressed communities, impoverished families. Um, so there is a lot of catching up that needs to happen. And it's going to be pretty uphill for a lot of kids and a lot of families. Uphill. And for so many students, it's motivating has been so hard. And this yeah. letter really stood out to us. It says, Dear Dr. Lisa and Rena, Thank you for your podcast. You've really helped me to see around corners better since I've started listening, especially in light of so many pandemic-related challenges. Here's the challenge we're facing now. My oldest daughter is starting high school this fall. She's smart and talented, but refuses to put an effort needed to help reflect that outwardly. 
She has ADHD and struggles with getting work turned in. She tells me she is doing it and doesn't. She misses the extended deadlines they give her. We talk about this regularly and how it becomes more important as we go into high school. She's also a talented artist and singer. She's passionate about music and the theater, but refuses to take any lessons to help her develop. As a highly driven person, I'm constantly frustrated with this situation because I know she could be a straight-A student. She spends hours on her computer, quote, doing homework, but still has these issues. I'm guessing she's really not doing the homework. How can I support her without completely micromanaging her? We struggle, so many of us parents, we want them to self-motivate and we don't want to micromanage, but they're not doing the work. Yup. And this is a girl who's about to be a ninth grader. And I think, you know, whatever has been going on prior to ninth grade, I think families feel like there's a little room to work. But then as soon as a kid's in high school, there's a sense of, okay, this is a transcript that's going to follow this kid and may really close doors for this kid. So whatever anxieties or pressures were there before high school, it all goes up many notches as you've got a kid who isn't doing the work and now they're in high school. So this particular parent, um, the child is struggling with ADHD. So what does that mean as far as trying to get the work done? So ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, is a diagnosis this child has. And it's a major player in this story. But I also hear the exact same story from kids who don't have ADHD. So we'll play it out both ways because I think this is a very you know broad and common scenario that this parent has brought forward. So for ADHD... And when I hear that that diagnosis is present, you know, of course, my first question is what interventions are in place? What has been tried? What has already happened? And based on the letter, one of the interventions that it sounds like has happened is the girl has a plan or accommodations at school or an IEP or, you know, it's called different things in different places because the letter writer mentions that the girl has extended deadlines, that she's still missing, but she has extended deadlines. So I think, okay, there's a good chance they've gone through the process of getting a diagnosis, sharing it with the school, developing a plan. That's all good, but it's not working. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that that's one of those things that I see in schools where they're like, we did all these things, and then they get stuck, or the family gets stuck, or the school gets stuck. And so I think one of the places I would want any parent with a plan and a kid on a plan to feel empowered is to go back and be like, so appreciate the plan it's not working. What else do you have? You know, what else can we do? Um, obviously, there's a medication question here. This is something every family would want to evaluate individually and hopefully with the care of a really good team. But that can help um, for some kids with ADHD. But what's happening here, and this can actually then take us to just thinking about kids broadly, the girl's not doing the work. There are things that are getting in the way of her doing the work, and she might be able to access more supports. But the supports that would help an ADHD kid would also help a kid who doesn't have ADHD but has this profile. And it's stuff like support around executive functioning, support around what school's for. So we can start to think about all the things a family might do with or without an ADHD diagnosis Mm -hmm. that would help in a situation like this. So I think a lot of parents wonder, when is too much intervention in dealing with your kid, right? So if you don't have a child that's struggling with ADHD, what are your sort of red flags? What what do you think is important for parents to know? Well, it's such a good way to frame it, Rena. like what's too much intervention? And 
What we're also talking about here is a 14-year-old. And the nature of adolescence is they want autonomy. They want to be independent. They want to do things themselves. And this letter has a lot of that in here, too, where the girl's, you know, a talented singer and actress or, you know, mm-hmm. and the mom's like, you want to take lessons? No, I don't need lessons. I'll do it my own way, right? I mean, that's so wonderfully and also frustratingly adolescent in this. <laughs> so what it reminds me of, Rena, is a situation I've seen myself in in schools where I've learned a lot where a kid isn't doing the work. You know, the kid is just not showing up academically. And I watch the adults around the kid just do so much, right? Provide so much support and so much intervention and are super creative about all the things that can happen without really involving the kid all that much. Mm -hmm. You know, that they're throwing all the ideas on the table, they're coming up with all the cool strategies. And I have watched kids completely tank those scenarios Mm. when the kid feels like, oh, look, everybody's gotten really busy and doesn't really have any skin in the game, doesn't really get invited into the process of trying to help them get serious about school. So especially with a high schooler, you want to make them want help. And it's not even clear right now that this kid wants help. And that's, I think, where the parent's getting stuck out of the gate. With or without the ADHD diagnosis is the kid's like, meh, and the parent's like, ah. And so it's hard to know how to go forward. But but what if they don't ever want help? What if they're just okay being in this phase and you know there are consequences, especially in high school, this mom's saying, you know, in middle school, we try to get them to, to understand why it's important to push forward. But by the time you're in high school, so many people are just so drained already. If they don't feel like they need to ask for the help or want to, how do you motivate when they don't want to self-motivate? Okay, so this is really interesting. And it's a really, I see this all the time, Rena. I just want, want you to know, like this tension where the parent is like, oh, kid, man, you are shooting yourself in the foot. And the kid's like, whatever, I really like this TV show, right? I mean, it's a really painful moment at home. So My general advice in situations like this is the kid has to feel some discomfort around this. And it's often the job of the parent to make them feel some discomfort so that they want help. And the way to go about this, here's one strategy, is that one thing that all teenagers want is freedom. Like that is is like a true thing. Like it's very rare that a teenager does not want more independence and more privacy and more autonomy. And so what parents can do is they can attach functioning well at school, turning in one's work as one's supposed to, to freedoms that have nothing to do with school. So if a teenager's like, I want to go to a concert on Saturday night with my friends, Mm. a parent can say, I want to let you go to that concert on Saturday night with your friends. Here's the thing. That requires a fair bit of trusting you and your good judgment for you to handle yourself independently. And... I'm not seeing that in the one place where you really could show it to me, which is in your management of your academics. So when you are getting yourself, your stuff turned in on time, when you are getting the kind of grades that you and I are in agreement, you can totally get, right? You should talk it through with your kid. Like, it should be a fair expectation. When you are showing me in the domains where I can observe it, which is school, that you've got good judgment and are on top of things, I can then more comfortably say, yes, go use that good judgment at a weekend concert with your friends. So you, that's how you can link up things wow. like getting to hang out with one's friends with turning in one's work. It's that it's about judgment and responsibility and demonstrating it. Wow. 
We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using Earth Breeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herbed squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. We spend a lot of time teaching our kids please and thank you. But one thing I've realized I haven't spent a lot of time teaching my children is how to be financially responsible. We started using the Greenlight app and it's made a difference in helping them have that conversation about money and to really understand how it can affect their lives. Greenlight's a debit card and a money app that's made for families. I can send money to my kids, keep an eye on their spending and their savings. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it and they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. So Lisa, tell me, I love this concept. What other pressure points have you found over the course of, of your experience that high school students, that could be pressure points that get them to self-motivate? Like you mentioned the concert. What else are things that they want more freedom that you could use as leverage? So it can be things like how late their curfew is. Um, it could be things like how closely you're monitoring them. You know, if the, if if you know you insist that kids come over to your house versus them letting letting them go over to other kids' houses. But the nice thing is, most teenagers are asking for things their parents are ambivalent about, like to go hang out at a house where you don't really love how things go down at that house. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always some 
in normally developing teenagers, there's always some press towards more freedom or lack of supervision than parents are good with or, or not good with, like readily comfortable yeah. with. We don't want to give it up. And we don't. And and so so I think that the job of the parent is to sit in that tension of being like, uh, you can go over to Jimmy's house where everything always feels a little out of control when you are showing me you've got really good judgment on X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, making it predictable, making it short term, like if you didn't turn in your work this week at school, like the weekend is going to be a lot more boring. If you get it all in this week, you'll have a lot more freedom this weekend. You can start again on Monday every week. You know, so having it be kind of quick chances for kids to get it right. They will not always get it right. So they have one lame weekend and then they can get back in the saddle with another, you know, fun weekend if they're on top of it. But what's really hard about this is the kid has to feel some downside to not doing the work. Mm. And what we're hearing about this child developmentally, and this is true for a lot of them, they're not yet at a place maturationally where they can connect not doing the work with ninth grade with having fewer options in 12th grade. Like, it's just too far away. And most kids do start to connect those dots somewhere in high school. And so this kind of, um, for lack of a better word, foot-on-the-neck approach. Yeah, the pressure points. The pressure points, like making it painful for the kid yeah. to not do the work around things the kid really cares about. Usually you don't have to do it forever. Okay. Usually development kicks in and the kid is like, actually, I just saw, you know, so-and-so's big sister went to this college and it looks like a really cool college. And you can say, great, to get there, you're going to need these kinds of grades. And then suddenly it comes from within the child. Oh, but not all 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds or 15-year-olds are there. Wow. Gosh, I, I never thought of back to school figuring out what your kids' pressure points are to get them to self-motivate <laughs> might be homework number one for parents everywhere. I mean, you know, I go back to my son who graduated from fifth grade and, and all summer he has been doing research trying to explain why he should have a phone. And I don't want him to have a phone, but he has taken on some extra responsibility on his own to prove that. And now it, it all makes sense to me that you're you're talking about self-motivating and, and, you know, trying to get kids to do things you want them. Like, you've got to find out what it is they really want and use that as motivation to get them to do stuff. Absolutely. And I think the, the, um, the way I think about it is, you know, the drive towards autonomy in teenagers, it's like it's the train they're on. And you're either on that train with them or you are under that train. Like there's no other place to be. Because the way you get under that train with a kid around school, and this is what this letter writer is so trying not to find themselves in that position, is where you are leaning on them. Like I'm going to supervise you while you do your homework. I'm going to monitor everything. I'm going to. And I will tell you, Rena, I can't believe how many times in my 25 years of practicing I've watched families do this where they just absolutely, you know, micromanage the bejesus out of a teenager yeah. who can't stand it. They will get the finished work into the kid's backpack. They will watch the yep. kid put it in the backpack and the kid doesn't turn it in. Wow. Because they are so annoyed that they are being um, micromanaged so thoroughly. So to try to attach it, like, you want to go out on the weekend? Great. I want you to go out on the weekend. You know what you need to do. And then the parents stepping back and living with whatever that kid does, which is painful. And if the kid messes it up and doesn't get the work in and is it really mad that they're not going out that weekend, then the parent can say, I'm bummed too. I wanted you to be able to go out. Mm. But what kind of parent am I if when you're not showing me good judgment at school, I let you go into situations where I know you need good judgment. Let's try again next weekend. Wow. 
that's good. First off, we don't want to micromanage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so that's the relational side. The other thing I think that's important is you could anticipate some of this. You could say to, you know, a student who's about to start the school year, all right, you know, what kind of grades do you think you can get? I think that's actually a very fair place to start. Like, is it fair of us to ask, you know, that you get A's and B's? Get agreement on that. And you usually can. And then say, okay, we're in agreement. You should have A's and B's or B's and C's, like whatever feels fair for that child. And then say, we're going to attach, like, we're going to attach some meaning to this. Like, you getting these grades or you getting your work turned in or whatever you use as the metric, that's going to be what dictates how much freedom you have on the weekends. Um, do you want our help with making sure you can get the work done? Because that has not been something that has come very easily to you. So asking that question, do you want our help, is essential. Because sometimes kids will be like, yes. And then you can say, great. Uh-huh. Do you want to start doing your homework in the dining room so that you don't get so distracted like you do up in your bedroom? Or do you want me to sit next to you while you work? Or do you want to go to the library after school and we'll give you a ride and we'll pick you up from there? Like, do you want to partner with us in thinking about structural features that would make it easier for you to focus and get the work done so that you can go out on the weekends like you want to and like we want you to be able to? Why is that so important? Because to me, I'm like, I don't even need to ask that question. I know the answer to that question. You're a hot mess. I need to step in. But <laughs> you're saying, wait, wait, don't do that just yet. Ask them if you if they need the help. Or if they want the help. Like We okay, know they, they need the it. We know okay. they need it. You're right. And I think that's what's really hard as a parent. And especially ninth grade is still pretty young where you're like, obviously you need the help. Yeah. I'm going to tell you how this works. Yeah. And then, of course, this fantastic letter writer is like, I'm really driven. I'm really organized, right? Which makes it that much harder because you're like, I totally know how to make this work for yeah. this kid. <laughs> like, like hello. So I'll tell you, though, Rena, having been in those scenarios with a kid who is, I kind of call them sometimes like a black hole. Like they're doing nothing, but they're sucking in all the resources, but nothing's happening. Yeah. Having been in those meetings and watched adults just activate, activate, activate around that child it's kind of amazing. And when I've watched it enough, I've learned to get all the other adults out of the meeting and say to the kid, do you want help? Do you want all this help that we're talking about? And no matter what the kid says back, it is a really valuable question to ask. And I've had kids be like, but why? Okay. Why is that question so valuable to ask? You know, we just intervene and pick it up and, and move forward. But you're saying you need to ask that question first. Why? Yeah, because I think sometimes I've had kids say like, I don't, I don't really care. Or it becomes clear the kid's depressed, right? Like they're like, you know, nothing doesn't, whatever I do, it's not going to make a difference. So why do I care? Like all these things are not going to matter. Like, you know, it doesn't always tell you exactly what to do next when you've asked this question, but it gets you into a conversation that you need to be in with a kid. Because then they might also say, I do want the help, but I don't want my mom to be the one who's monitoring, right? I've had Mm. kids say that, like, or my dad, like, he's so annoying the way he goes about it. So I've sometimes even brokered stuff with kids where they don't necessarily talk about school with one parent or the other, or there's an advisor at school who stays on top of things and then communicates to the parents if stuff's falling apart, but the parents stay out of it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes kids will take the support, but they need to put some of their own conditions around it. And if we're talking high schoolers, you have to respect that. Yeah. You can't make a teenager do things. And that's what's so painful as a parent. But 
you got to work with that reality. So what if the kid is like, look, it's not going to make a difference. I don't care. Then what do you do? Well, I would be really interested in that answer, right? If the kid's like, you know what? I've tried it all. I've tried studying at the library. I've tried, you know, talking to my teachers. I've tried, you know, working in the dining room. None of it's making a difference. I think the first question, and this mom has this question in this letter is, are you really studying or are you, you know, messing around? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think that that's where you would start to scrape away a little bit. But then, Rena, sometimes it is the case where the kid is like really working and like spinning their wheels, going backwards. And there's one of two things often happening there. One is they may really be have really lousy study strategies. And that is a true thing. Like there are kids who study very effectively and there are kids who study very hard, not effectively at all. So one question I would ask is, when you say you're studying, what do you mean by that? And I'll tell you, I was talking with a teacher recently who had a kid who was doing quite terribly in school. And the teacher said to the student, it was a boy, when you're done studying, how well do you know the material? And the kid looked at him blankly. Like the kid had not linked up, and these were high, was a high schooler, linked up studying until you know the material. Like the kid studied a while and then stopped, and then he was saying to the teacher, no, but I'm studying. But he wasn't actually learning the material while studying. Yes. So now you've got an interesting like place to work. The other thing that one would have to rule out is a learning disorder. Because sometimes there are kids who are really trying and really working, and they are just not – they don't take in information in the way it is presented at school. And that would need to be diagnosed. And it can sometimes happen that for one reason or another, the learning disorder does not become obvious until the high school workload hits. So if a kid is feeling helpless and hopeless around like none of this is going to work, none of this is going to matter, I would really get into questions about show me what you mean when you say you're studying and also do we need to check to see if you've actually got an undiagnosed learning disorder. Got it. Are there things – that you think, are there things that parents might overlook that are basic that can really help us in self-motivating and getting kids to do their homework? Yeah, I think, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the line in the mom's letter about being very driven herself. And I think what we have to remember is By the time we're adults, and maybe this is an adult who's always been driven, but it's a lot easier to get excited about work you like than it is about work that you're just assigned. And I think one of the hardest things about school that we don't talk nearly enough about is that kids are expected to be motivated when they've basically been told what to do. They haven't had much choice or much say. And one adjustment we can all make as we start the new school year with our kids is to just talk much more plainly about the fact that there's going to be work that your kid is into and there's going to be work that your kid is totally not into and there's nothing wrong with that and that doesn't say anything about your kid and that doesn't mean your kid's not a good kid or a serious student but the nature of school is that we expect them to be equally motivated across a variety of things that they were assigned, that they haven't had say. So even that piece of not thinking like, why isn't my kid motivated, right? Like, 
If we change it instead to, when is my kid motivated and when does my kid need a lot of help to get motivated for no reason other than just being a kid who's been told to take this class that they otherwise would never take, that adjustment can put you much more in alignment as a support for your kid as opposed to feeling frustrated wondering why your kid isn't always in the mood to do what's asked. Mm -hmm. Have you found in your experience that there's a particular place in the house that kids do better at with, you know, being at with homework? Well, it's interesting. So I mentioned the dining room. I'm a big fan of that. What I would say is a lot of families default, you know, for when kids have their own rooms, when they have the luxury of having their own rooms, a lot of families default to the kid doing their work in their room. Right. I don't think that works nearly as well as people think it does. I mean, I think there are definitely some highly disciplined kids who are like really good at getting to their desk and getting their stuff out and just getting down to business. Rooms are distracting, right? There's a lot of fun stuff in your room. There's baseball cards. There's outfits you can try on. So in that conversation where we say to a kid, do you want my help thinking about how to structure this year to set you up for success? I think there should be a conversation about where do you work best? And do you want to do some experimentation, you know, for the first couple of weeks of school? Do you want to use my office if you have an office? Do you want to use the dining room? Do you want to try your room and see how it goes? But treating it like a a thing to sort out as a critical feature, because when I have seen students really thrive, it's not necessarily that they're the smartest kid at school. It's that they are a kid who knows exactly where in the daily routine they know where they work and they know when they work. Um, that they there's not figuring out day by day, when should I do my homework and where should I set myself up? Like that they really, they have essentially an office they go to and they know when they go and they go there and they get it done. Wow. Lots of stuff here. I mean, the first thing is figuring out the pressure points, letting kids ask if they need help, asking them if they need help. Um, wow. Lots to unpack and think about that I hadn't thought about in kicking the school year off. It's a big one, Rena, and yeah, and I think some of what we're going to face this year is going to be pandemic hangover, mm-hmm. and some of it is that it's always been hard for kids to motivate at school. That it's not like prior to the pandemic, kids were like, "Yay, give me all the work! I love all my yeah. classes!" Right? Yeah. And so, if there's anything we can draw from the pandemic, is that we are actually talking much more bluntly and directly about how. Kids are not always into it or don't always want to do it, and they got to do it anyway. And so I think it's okay for us just to meet them right where they are and acknowledge that school is not everybody's cup of tea, but it is the path um, that they got to be on for a little while longer. So how do we help them, you know, leave school with as many doors open as they absolutely can? Mm, That's good. So what do you have for us, Lisa, for parenting to go? Let's start this year treating motivation like the complicated thing it is, that sometimes we're in the mood, sometimes we're not in the mood to do the work, same for our kids, and talking openly with our kids about what helps them do work that they don't feel like doing, and really getting creative with them. Like, would it help them if you sat nearby? Would it help them if you set a timer and, you know, they got up and walked around after every 20-minute module of work? Would it help them if after 20 minutes you brought the dog around and they rolled around on the floor with the dog for five minutes? Would it help them if they knew that they were going to have a snack after 20 minutes? I think we should in no way make kids feel like there's something 
less than in them as a student if they need all of these things, I think we should treat it as normal and expectable in the school year. Never thought of it that way, that this is just normal development and something that you've got to have a little bit more patience with, but talk through with your kid. Absolutely. And next week, we're going to talk about what do you do if your kid makes bad friends? How do you get them to rethink that relationship? I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.